Welcome to the Playing the Game podcast with your hosts, Brock White and Cody Ransom. This podcast is the place for all things baseball, hunting, and entrepreneurship. These two guys have put in the work and have the stories and advice to back it up. Brock is a longtime business owner, and Cody played pro ball for over 18 years. Driven deep to left field. There it goes. See ya. A long home run for Cody Ransom. The one thing that brings these two guys together is hunting. Babe Ruth said it best. Never allow the fear of striking out to keep you from playing the game. This is the Playing the Game podcast, presented by Rolly White RV. Yo! Everybody, welcome. Playing the game. Oh, you know why they're clapping? Because Cody's here. Is that why? Cody's here. <laughs> Not because yeah. of me. Yeah, right. What's going on, everybody? How are you? So, today, we are we are blessed to have a really good friend of mine. Cody's meeting them for the first time, and I've known Greg for, I think, almost eight years now, and... Yeah, hard to believe it's been that long already, huh? I know, man, and Greg Krogh is, I would say, in my opinion, top, because I got another friend that's a really good outfitter, so I have to say top two outfitters in Arizona, Top outfitter in Nevada, if you want to, you know, have that dream of actually shooting a mature mule deer, mature elk, that's what Greg specializes in. I would say his camps, what I like about Greg's camps, hunting camps, are is that it's all about business. It's not about, you know, the, the glamour and it's all about hunting. It's about finding big animals. It's about... You come back, you eat a steak every night with Greg. <laughs> Is there anything better than that? Come on. <laughs> I know, right? He come oh, and you go back out and you try to hunt, kill big deer, big elk. But, um, Greg, how you doing today? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Doing great. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. I know you're busy. There's, Greg's really busy, dude. You got a bunch of stuff coming up. And, uh, yeah, yeah. What you I, got? Well, you know, this actually the dead time now, and everything's finally dying down. All the draws are over, so this next month is about the, the most relaxing time of the year. And then it goes right back to scouting in July. How has your wife put up with you, like being gone you know, all the time? You know, it's not as bad as you think. You know, we used to joke around about it, but it's you know, it's basically six months on, six months off. But during the six months that I'm working. It seems like every other week somebody gets done early and he gets to come home anyway, you know. But so, the trade-off is we have six months. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a good trade-off or not. You'd have to ask her. But six months out of the year we get to be together twenty-four-seven. So I guess it depends on how good a relationship you have. Your wife depends if that's good or not. <laughs> right. Well, I think she likes it, but you'd have to ask her. Yeah. Um, so, in my opinion, you run a really cool operation. I've seen a lot of different outfitters. I've hunted with different outfitters. And um, I, I really like how you run things. It's You don't try to get go too big, but you have a lot of really good guides that work for you. So, like, if you, no matter who you're with, 
you can guarantee that they're going to be like top notch hunter. Not just hey, they know the area. Like they know how to hunt. And I think that is the difference personally. But how how did you start? Like how did Greg start? Be like how did you get in the business? Well, I start. I got my license. This would be my 38th year, and you know, so I was uh, going into our 38th season um, when I was 16. And back then, they didn't even have a requirement back then. Um, there was no age requirement. Um, there wasn't a test. There was nothing back then. You're 16 and, years old? Yeah. You're and uh, Out of high school? Like junior high? I was, I was in high school, yeah. Soft. And Jeez. There wasn't even an, there wasn't an eight, there was nothing back then, you know? Um, so this would have been, gosh, back in, I would say early eighties, you know? And, uh, the reason we started it was it was getting hard to draw tags, you know? And prior to that, you could draw all these tags and my dad and my brothers and I would go hunting and my, both my brothers really never got into it like I did. I mean, they did it to spend time, you know, and I think my dad kind of wanted them to do it just so we all kind of spend time together, but they weren't really passionate about hunting. I would say they were the opposite. They just kind of, they liked going out and camping, but they really didn't care much about the hunting of it. And, um, but I was really into it and my dad was really into it. And so when it started getting hard to draw elk tags where you couldn't get them, you know, we used to get them like every year, every other year. And then when it got difficult, we decided that, you know, my dad had retired. He was, uh, he sold his business and uh, he was in the medical marketing business and he sold it and was, he was probably, gosh, I would say late forties at the time. And, you know, he was kind of bored and looking for something to do. And, um, and then Tom Rossi and Dan Peters, who were my dad's really close friends. And, and, uh, the four of us decided we were going to just start guiding so that we was really, so we could go hunting. It really wasn't about money at all back then. It was about, I mean, we didn't even have a camp. I, I mean, honestly, when we started off, we would send out flyers to people and then whoever would book us, we would just charge him a day rate. We would actually camp with them. You know, they would provide the camp and everything. Yeah. And, uh, so that's how it started. And, and, uh, we, we did that for gosh, you know, probably, I would say probably 10 years. Um, and then after about 10 years, uh, when I got out of college, about two years after I got out of college, um, I just decided that was what I wanted to do. And I, I was working a job in, uh, sales and I just decided I'd rather do this full time. So I, it was kind of a funny story. I was too embarrassed to tell my dad, you know, that was a really successful businessman. And my dad was awesome, you know, and he would do anything to help us out and get us jobs and help us find jobs and contact and network. And I just thought he'd be really disappointed that I went to college and got this business degree and then was going to go become a guy. So I told him that I was going to, um, I was going to quit my job so that I had about, you know, six months off. Cause I thought what well, I just told them what was keeping me from getting a job. And with the field I wanted to get in was nobody wanted to hire me because of the company I was in work working with. It'd be like a conflict of interest. So I told him I needed to quit and get out of the business for about six months. That way, when I went and sent out resumes, I wouldn't be, you know, competing with the people that I was actually with and which I had no intention of going back. That was just the plan to get started and see if I could make it work. And we just, I, my dad was really involved in medical mailing lists and, and uh, just regular marketing mailing lists with labels you get. And so we bought a list from the game and fish and back then nobody else was doing that. And so we bought a list of all the successful applicants 
And I wrote down like 20 different trips that didn't overlap. And I just sent out mailers with some pictures and, and, uh, and decided to go do it first time, uh, you know, full time. And, uh, we just got really lucky. And it was funny. I sent out 22 mailers for 22 trips or something like that. And we literally booked 22 people and none of them overlapped. You know, you would have thought it would have been all for one week and you wouldn't be able to do it, but it was just like, we got one for each week that we wanted. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And then about a year later, my dad started asking me if I was still sending out resumes and I finally came clean to him and and then we said, uh, and I think he was probably more excited than I was. I was kind of surprised, you know? <laughs> well, that's cool. Like, I mean, to take something you love and then just say, yeah. hey, we're going to go for it here, you know? Yeah, and I never dreamed it would turn into what it did, you know? I just, I can remember doing it back then, thinking after the first season, telling my, we were, I was engaged at the time. I wasn't married back then, and, and uh I remember telling my, my wife now how excited I was. I'm like, I can't believe this actually worked. I don't have to go do a real job, you know? And yeah, it, 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 of course now it is a real job just cause it's gotten bigger than it was back then. But there's, but it's still something I really enjoy doing. And very few people, you know, I, I really feel really, really lucky to have been able to do something that I really, really enjoy doing. It's, I, I never think of it as work. I mean, there's times you get burned out throughout the season and you want to break, but it never feels like a job. Yeah, I mean, you hear, like, horror stories of guys that, like, they took a the hunter that, the the worst, you know, the hunter that ruins a a guide, right, that now they don't even want to hunt anymore. Have you ever experienced anything like that? You know, I mean, we, we you know, we do between two states and another guy. I probably do 60 people a year, 60, 70 people a year, Jeez. and you know, you're always going to have one or two that, but I, I can honestly say there's only been like, I can count on one hand in that many years of people that I would say were just really that difficult. I mean, there's people that maybe I didn't have a lot in common with, or, you know what I mean? They didn't have a lot in common with me. There, there wouldn't be somebody that I would call when I was driving through their town to go grab lunch, Yeah, but, but it wasn't really problems. I've had very few, I would say on one hand, you know, you're going to always have, a few bad experiences, you know, there was definitely a couple that were pretty ridiculous. Um, but I would say less than five in that many years, which I think is pretty lucky. Yeah, real lucky. Yeah. I, mean, I would say, yeah. yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many of the people I've met that, you know, through my business that have become, what are my closest friends now, whether it's guides that work for me over the years or clients that I've become really good friends with. Um, you know, I just, I just did a, uh, I just did a shooting school. I helped put on a shooting school and organize it for Owens Armory and Nick taught the class and I organized it and set it all up. We did it out at the ORO ranch and, uh, it was a long range shooting class and it was funny. Two of the guys that were in the class are probably my, I've known for gosh, close to 30 years, you know, through, through my business, they become really good friends and. I go visit them on vacation. I've visited one of them a couple of times in Washington on vacation with my family. And the other one we're going to visit this summer in Arkansas. Oh, that's cool. So you meet a lot of really good people through it. And a lot of my really good friends through the years are either clients or, or people I've worked with. So it's been a really neat deal in that regard as well. Yeah. I think me and Cody are both a little upset that we didn't get the invite in the long range class. <laughs> <laughs> you should come anytime. You live two hours away. I got it. Yeah. Of course, we could shoot about an hour. I mean, a mile from my house. 
Yeah. How was – I mean, we had <coughs> talked about that before, but how that turn out? You talked about this was your first go, right, about having, like – I think it would be cool to explain to everybody, like, what you guys did and <coughs> – yeah, right. so it was something that we, we you know, we I was worried when we set it up about fire restrictions and closures because, you know, if you go and take a bunch of deposits and have everything scheduled, then they do a ban, you know, on the forest or the BLM, then you can't do it. So it really was important we did it on someplace private. Um, so we went out there and did it at the ORO, and, and they have an incredible place to stay at with several rooms. I think everybody had their own. We took, you know, take eight people, cap it at eight. And, um, everybody has their own, there's two, two guys to a room and every room has its own bathroom. We hired a cook, uh, Trina Runson. She was phenomenal. And, uh, that she cooks for Chad and, and those guys at that ranch and also for other hunting camps. And, and, uh, it was unbelievable. The food was good. The place was awesome. You had the whole thing to yourself. We were able to go up there a couple of days early and set up a bunch of steel targets, life-size deer and, then we had several comp, you know, we had like one day of instruction. I would say half a day of just instruction, like classroom instruction where everybody figured out all the stuff that they needed to know and how to, how to build a, a you know, a dope program and how to do all that kind of stuff. And then after that, we showed them, you know, how to enter all the data and ballistic calculators, set up range finders if that's what they wanted to use for that application. Then we went out and zeroed that afternoon and chronoed all the guns so we could get all the data right. And then the next day we went out and started shooting. And I, I would say, you know, we did several different competitions where, you know, we would keep track of scores and it made it kind of interesting. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was probably one of the, I, I enjoyed that as much as I do doing hunting trips. Everybody that knows me knows I love shooting. Like it makes oh. fun of me because all I want to do all day is shoot. You know, when yeah. we go hunting, I want to go out in the middle of the day and shoot rocks. Yes. So it was a lot of fun to go shoot. The only hard part was I didn't get to shoot. Oh, you got to so, watch everyone shoot. I, had to watch the... so I shouldn't say that. I did shoot and one evening. I went a little, little haywire with, <laughs> after everybody left to head back to the ranch house. I melted a couple of barrels real quick. Oops. Yeah. Hey, um, <laughs> but it was, it was a lot of fun. I do have a question for you. What did uh, what ballistic system were you guys using like to calculate your beat, all that stuff? Um. We use several of them. Uh, on the calculators, I use Applied Ballistics. Just the app by Applied Ballistics. It's like 29 bucks, I think. That yeah. one's a really good one. I also like Shooter's app, which yes. is using, a, it uses Applied Ballistics, I believe. Um, it's just a little bit more dumbed down and a lot less complicated. Yeah. Um, and then also, all I use a lot of the range-finding binoculars that have the, you know, that have the, all the atmosphere in them. So you just, you can basically Bluetooth them to your phone, and once you enter the data, then you don't have to be Bluetooth anymore. You just only need to be Bluetooth to switch rifles. And those give you the ballistic solution by just hitting the button. It takes into account the angle, the temperature, you know, everything, all the pressures. It's pretty simple. Which one are you using right now? Which spine? I'm running the Leica, the 3200 Leica, um, and then I'm also running the, the new Swarovski. Swarrow has the, the – which Swarrows? They're brand new ones. They're the 10 by 42s. They have the ballistic solutions in them also. The Pure? Nope. No, it's, it came out after the Pure. It's a 10 by 42. And how much is that, like, for, you know, the average buyer? What is I that thing say like? they're, I would say they're right around 3400 I'm guessing. Oh, like, that's not bad, you know? Just kidding. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, for... Well, they're great glass, too, though. You know, they're, 
this, I've been waiting a long time for Swarovski to come out with that. You know, um, yeah. they got they got really good glass in them, and uh, and then the biggest thing is that you know I was always having to carry a pair of fifteens, and then a, yes. I carry those forties. I carry spice scope, and I don't want to carry a pair of tens and a rangefinder. So this kind of got rid of something, you know, saved some weight. What um, so the Swarovski are your favorite? Yeah, I think so. You know, I like the Leica. You know, I like Swarovski glass. I pretty much use Swarovski for everything. But in the rangefinders, I like the Leica glass a little bit better. A little. I'm talking a small amount. You know. Yeah. And then, uh, but I like the Swarovski, uh, the range finding app that I guess, I don't know, but maybe the, I'm thinking the actual app to where you transfer all the data is a lot easier in the Swarovski than the Leica. Okay. Um, so I do like that better. So what is, but I keep both of them. What is, um, man, we're, dang, I got to stop myself. Because I, I could talk about binos for like all night. Like hours. I figured you were distracted because you were online ordering some right now. Uh, we're looking at. <laughs> them. I'm looking them up as you talk about them, showing them. So and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna I probably shouldn't do that because he'll buy them by the end of the night. Oh my gosh, I, I have I no idea. Swaro made a BC calculator. I've been trying not to look at binos because they've they, only been out a couple months. Oh, that's well. There you go. Are they like ELs? Is there, are they the ELs or they're not the peers? Looks like they're the EL frame. Yeah, they're not. They're not the peers. No. Okay. Um. I so here's the benefit I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. If you have a BC calculator inside the bino, when you're actually looking at the animal, they're mounted to your uh, tripod. Especially if you're shooting six, seven hundred yards, and you're looking at a deer or a rock or whatever. Like if you're trying to hold a little tiny rangefinder or even I have the G7 like I have to put that thing on a tripod to get it correctly done but there's something that I don't like about the G7 like the uh the square in it is seems like I don't trust it completely that it's hitting the actual target does that make sense yeah and I and that's the thing is, and that's one of the reasons I switched from a handhold like a you know um a SIG makes SIG sour it makes a really good handheld I think they call it the LRF 2400 ABS, which has the applied ballistic. That's a really nice one, uh, but it's a handheld binocular. And so when I run, but it's also a lot cheaper option, you know, a third of the price probably. Um, and on those, the only problem I'd run into is when you're, you know, you've got a client that's shooting and you're trying to range, then you have to get, you have to put that, like you said, mounted on the tripod to get the correct reading. And then you, got to take it off and then refine the animal. And then when the shooting starts, you're going back and forth, you're missing shots when you should be spotting on the binoculars. Yes. So this allows me to just stay on one system, click the button, give them the hold over, and then I can watch for impact. Yeah. I like and make that. Adjustments. So I like it a lot better. And, um, I mean, if that's the main reason if you're somebody that's, you know, doing it on a 100 year or two up there, you, you know, I would, I don't know if I would, go to that expense you know yeah. you can you can get the same stuff with any rangefinder and a ballistic calculator and a lot of people don't want to do it but you know the ballistic calculator it, you know anytime you're shooting long range you're not rushing it anyway if you are oh. you shouldn't be taking the shot so I you have it. plenty of time I, yeah. I always even today like last year every even anything over 600 yards five six seven hundred yards i always 
I'll arrange it with my binocular. I'll look at the solution and then I'll run it in my applied ballistics app. Also make sure I have the same solution. And I've caught myself before where I've switched guns, you know, yeah. and it would have been a big deal, you know, where you have the wrong gun loaded in there and you just, you know, for whatever reason. So it's like a, you know, a double check. Yeah. I like that. And I mean, people need to realize like, just because you buy a gun that says like it shoots seven or a thousand yards does not mean you're you're you can shoot a thousand yards like there are a lot of it's, things it's like, crazy yeah. it's crazy that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves in the long range thing and you know i i'm not even saying you know for hunting i i mean i got these long range guns i just i like shooting long range and shooting steel i'm just i love it i mean i get up in the morning for the sun's up run out there to get out before there's any wind and shoot I shoot thousands of rounds just at steel and to paper. And I really enjoy shooting yeah. and reloading and all that stuff. And then I'll see some ad and I mean, I don't want to know your names. These people will be advertising these, you know, thousand yard guns out of the box. They'll cite them in for you. I mean, that's just asinine. I mean, it's beyond like a cheat code. Well, they, they're missing half the thing, like the BC calculator, all that stuff. And like, you can't put a turret on top that you just say, all right, let's just dial this up to a thousand because, you know, temperature matters, right? Elevation matters. And it would, a guy could do that. I'm not saying like, I have good friends that understand ballistics and how it works. And you can get by with that. You know, like, you know, if Jason Campbell, you know, is using a turret, a cut turret, you know, that's set at 6,000 feet. He understands how it works. He's very knowledgeable in long-range shooting. He knows that if it's 2,000 feet, he knows how many clicks to take off, you know, yeah. you know, and, and, and he knows how high it's going to hit. So he knows that if he's, you know, if it's calling for 700 yards, he knows to take off a couple, you know, and, and guys that shoot a lot would understand that, but to sell it to somebody that doesn't understand that, and to th- you have to have a bag full of turrets because, you know, you can have such huge, like, for example, in Nevada, we might hunt elk, and you might hunt elk at 6,000 feet, and in the same day, you might be hunting elk at 10,000 feet, 4,000 feet difference, and it might be a 50-degree swing. You know, you might be hunting them in the morning, and... You might be, let's say, you could be hunting them at 5,000 in the morning. You're usually not going to be up that high in the afternoon. So you might be 5,000 in the morning when it's 10 degrees, which is going to have a density altitude of more like probably 3,000 feet. Or you could be hunting them in the afternoon at 9,000 feet when that sun's lighting up that mountain in the afternoon when it's all of a sudden it's 50 degrees. And then all of a sudden your density altitude is, 10,000 instead of 9,000. So now you've got a 5,000 foot swing between morning and evening. And that's, I mean, more than that, 7,000 on your density altitude. That's a huge difference on your impact. Yeah. And people, and just to sell a gun and send a guy out there with a thousand yard turret. And I mean, one of the ads actually said, we'll throw in a couple of boxes so that you can, you know, shoot a few and, you're going to need more <laughs> than a couple boxes. Figure out the wind, you know, and we even cited in for you. And that's just. So you can figure out the wind. <laughs> oh yeah. My gosh, it's like, you know, like that was one of the things we worked on in this class a lot was the wind, you know, about yes. all the guys in that class within one day were ringing steel out to a thousand yards that's very cool. consistently That's really cool. without wind. But then with in the morning, but then as the wind picked up, 
the impacts would go just, you know, to below 50%, you know, in the wind. And it's so critical. And, and there's so much more than that. Even the BCs are never correct. Most of the bullet manufacturers don't give the correct VC for the bullet. So you just think you can just go type in what the box says and the speed and go shoot is ridiculous. Yeah, I, I ridiculously that. unethical, I would say. Yeah, I, that, that's the main thing right there. Is like I always say, like if you haven't practiced at the yardage, you can't shoot an animal at that yardage, right? Yeah, like, and even even if like you're shooting at a thousand yards and you feel good, like maybe in a hunting situation you should cut it down to eight hundred yards. You know, like yeah, the idea is to shoot long range, figure everything out, learn all the dope, you know, learn your ballistics, learn how to dope the wind, learn how to do all that, and then six hundred yards, five hundred yards just just seems like a a chip shot. Yeah, it's crazy. Everything's magnified. You have to do everything right. You have to get the wind exactly right. You have to get everything. Your form. Everything has to be perfect at a thousand yards versus if you when you do all that, then when you go to five hundred yards on a hunt, it, it never even occurs to me that someone's gonna match, you know. So let's um let's uh talk about your your cool buck you shot a couple of years ago. I think the cut the guys would like to hear about that. That's a cool story. Oh, the strip hunt? Yeah, so like you woke up one day. <clears throat> Results are out, yeah. and you're like, "Well, I'm not getting drawn this year, right?" Like everybody else. Yeah, a good friend of mine, Jim Castro, and uh, he called me up, and we were on separate apps. And I've been his dad, and I have hunted together forever, and me and Jim and I have hunted forever. And and uh, Jim drew the tag, called me up within like two minutes. I didn't know the draw was out, and I was up at Campbell's house in Utah, and we were looking at his trophy room, getting ready to go look through. He'd taken a phone call, and then I got a call from Jim, and so I drew the 13B. And, uh, his dad, you know, he had, he was planning on going with clay all along. And, and, uh, so he, he basically asked me to call clay and see if clay would guide him personally. So I called up clay and said, you know, has anybody else called you? He's like, no, he's the first one. If he wants to book it, I'll do it. So he committed to it. Clay called me back and said, I got him booked. Thank you. And then I thought, man, I should check my results. And then of course I check and it, I had drawn, which I had like a 2% chance of drawing. And maybe even a 1%. And so then I called Clay back and, and, um, Clay's like, great. You know, you, you talked me into going, you, you know, you, you told me to give this guy my word that <laughs> I'm going to guide him. And now you call me, tell you have a tag and you want to go. So where we worked out deal with Clay where he was going to take both me and Jim. Yeah. And, uh, so it worked out really good. And, uh, well, I think what, what great humility for a guide like yourself that's really successful on hunting big big game big mature animals to say hey you know what you take me like well it's a huge it's it, that that tag is so so important it's so difficult to draw and you know to think that i'm going to go up there and i just don't understand when people go up there and like to do that one on your own it it's i mean i get it you know i mean if if there were no such thing as cameras you know, I drew that tag 12 years prior to that. And back then there were no cameras up there. I didn't see one the whole time I was there. In fact, you know, that's different. You can go up there and go scouting for a week or two ahead of the time and a couple trips in the summer and you can compete with everybody. But nowadays the way that is and how competitive up there, if you tried to go up there, you know, and go scouting and everybody else has all the trail camera info and all that kind of stuff, you're just, by the third day of the hunt, all the bigger bucks are gone, you know? Yeah. And Clay, 
you know, Clay was awesome and, you know, he lives up there. They ranch in that unit. Their, their house is right in the middle of that unit. I, I've known Clay for over 20 years and I did it on my own. And we had a great time back in 08. We had a really good hunt. Me and um, Pat Losher did. And we shot some nice bucks, but oh. I mean, I took, I think I spent 20 days up there scouting or 21 days scouting. So you had that tag with me, Pat. Yeah. Okay. How big of a buck did you end up killing that year? That year I shot a typical that was like 204 and Pat shot a two. I mean, he, we watched him. I filmed him break off three or four inches off of a G4 um, in a fight the night before the opener when Pat shot him, he was, to I want to say seventeen or something like that. Yeah, he's on and so we had it. It was a great time, but I, I did the math on it, and I'm like, I spent twenty something days up there. I canceled three trips. Ironically, I canceled one on Jim Cass, the guy that I went with this time. He had yeah. a tag, like he let me out of it, so I could because he knew the tag I had, and you know, it cost me three times what what Clay charged me. <laughs> you know, to go up there and do it on my own last time because I had to cancel three trips, which is an actual cost, you know. Yes. And instead of guiding in Nevada, I was over there scouting. And so this time I thought it'd be better just to, you know, we were slamming. And there was no way I'd written contracts for every day leading up to that hunt. And, you know, for I think 30 something days leading up to the opener, I didn't have a day off in Nevada. I'd already wrote contracts. I was going to be guiding people. I didn't want to try to drive from there over to Arizona, you know and get there at the middle of the night, <laughs> the night before the opener, and then try to compete with everybody. Just isn't, there's no way. And even if I had 20 days, I'm not going to know it as well as Clay does. You know, Clay, Clay puts in, I don't know how many, I'm, I'm, if I had to guess, he's probably got a hundred days in there every year, you know, and has for his whole life. Jeez. And Clay's, I'm guessing, probably four or five years older than me, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was a no-brainer in my mind. That's cool. Yeah, I, so, no-brainer. I mean, I know other guys that have had that tag, used uh, an outfitter, and they're an outfitter, and they didn't want to tell anybody that they used an outfitter. Cause, like, they're I mean, that's just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> why? to me, it's like, I, I deal with that in my business. I've had people like that in the past with us, and I just, it's just people's egos. I mean... I'm not going to try to pretend I know the strip like Clay does. Just like him, if Clay ever drew a Nevada tag, I would hope he would call me for help. You know, I don't. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to know everything he knows about the strip. Just like he's not going to know everything I know about Nevada. Yeah. You know, and it's to me that doesn't, that never even occurred to me. There's Clay did. We just came in. There was me, and so we when we went showed up, it was me, Drummond, Lindsay, Jeff Rowe, um. And Blake Chapman all came up to help me and we just, it was a blast, you know? So we went out and Jeff couldn't be there opening morning. He didn't get there till midday and, uh, but he didn't miss anything. And, uh, we ended up seeing a really big buck the night before, I mean, on opening day. And, Is this uh, the one that you were able to get down on and like, yeah, this was, I think yeah, this, this was a, we, we hiked in there. We, we hiked at one knob and, uh, Clay, we were in there with Clay and a couple other guys and, and Clay was with Jim, maybe not even probably a mile from us. We got on this little knob, me and Drummond, and then we got bored and I walked across to another knob. Maybe I drove, I can't remember, but I, 
I think I went, I think I walked over the next knob yeah. a little bit further up and then I hiked up on top of it and, uh, just cause I could see some stuff behind me. When I climbed up there, a good friend of mine, Bob Dykeman was on top of it with a client and I came from, there were no cars on my side. So I, I didn't know anybody was up there. Then I felt like a jerk. Cause I'm like, they're already all set up blasting. And it was like an hour before dark. So I sat down next to Bob and his client. I think it was his client's son at the, they were actually sitting with the client was off the side a little bit. And, and I just, you know, like in Nevada, if someone were to walk up and sit on a knob with me, I mean, that happens almost never. It's not, it's not like the strip, you know, I yeah. mean, I can count on one hand the number of time I've been blasting next to somebody in Nevada. And so I just thought, well, they were there first. And, and I just said, Hey man, do you might care if I just sit here in glass? I didn't know nobody was up here and I don't have time to get anywhere else tonight, but you know, if you got a ceiling you want, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go, I won't go after it. I don't know what I said. Won't go after it. It's all yours. I can't remember what terminology we use, but, and so we were sitting there talking and BSing while we were glassing with me and him. And, and about, we, there was some people out there hiking around that were like, could tell they were stalking a deer and we were watching them and they were about, I don't know, 800 yards away and they were, they were tracking a deer and they were looking right. Oh, they had somebody with a radio or something, but they were just really creeping along. And then all of a sudden we were both looking and we, we, the buck was bedded, I guess. And then I turned around and was like looking at Bob. I wasn't in the glass. I'm looking at Bob and saying something. And then all of a sudden Bob's just <laughs> eyes got big and he pulled his head up, grabbed his binos and said, giant buck grab your dad talking to his, you know, his client's son. And then Bob just took off running in front of me. And I got back in the glass and looked and sure enough, here's this just mega giant buck. And it's running right at us. <laughs> it's probably 800 yards away at the time. And so they kind of ran off to the left and set up. And, and that was like the perfect spot to go to wherever they went. There was a little point with some rocks on to shoot off. And they ran over there and got set up and, I just kind of wanted to watch it. So I kind of ran off to the right a little bit. And in the heat of the whole thing, I kind of forgotten at first. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to shoot anything, you know. <laughs> so I ran over to the right, threw my pack down and set the glass up. And the buck kind of ran. And he turned and he stopped. And he was about, I don't remember exactly, but maybe 500 yards away. And he stopped between like two little uh, trees about the size of two small Christmas trees. And he was just broadside to me. And he's looking over his shoulder, kind of back off to my left, which is where those guys were, where they were set up. And he was looking behind him to see if whoever had jumped him was coming, I guess. And and I'm sitting here looking at this buck, and it's like a no-brainer to shoot him. You know, it, it, this buck was just an unbelievable deer. I have some video of him and pictures of him. And so I'm looking at him thinking, what in the world? And I just told them that I wouldn't, you know, if we saw something, <laughs> I wasn't going to shoot. And. And, uh, so I'm just sitting here watching, I'm waiting for them to shoot and shoot and shoot. And, and uh, and I think, well, maybe they're, you know, I, I don't know. So I get up and I kind of sneak off the back and I run over to Bob and I'm like, are you, are you still on the deer? And he's like, yeah, but from our angle, he's just kind of right behind this little tree and he's having a hard time finding him in the scope. So as soon as he steps out, we're going to, we'll have a good shot. And I thought, okay. So I turned around and ran back to go watch again and, and then I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, if they missed, am I allowed to start shooting, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. I think once the first fire, the first shot no, breaks but, the contract. <laughs> no, no. It, it's, but in my mind, I'm thinking, God, there's just no way this ends well for me. You know what I mean? Like, let's say the guy misses, and then I shoot and drop, and then it's like, yeah. you know, I just said I wasn't going to shoot anything, and then I did. And I'm like, I'm, just, I'm not shooting no matter what. 
but you know, like part of your mind. So I'm in there and I remember dropping the magazine out of the bottom of the gun with all the shells in it. I didn't have one in the pipe. And I like walked over and set it like 10 yards away. I need this juniper tree. <laughs> oh, man. I'm thinking that way, if I get excited and the deer starts standing there and they start shooting, I don't get excited and start shooting or something. And I'm watching. Put it down, you know? Yeah. And I'm watching all this. And then I get the camera out and I'm phone scoping this giant mega bucket. I mean, he's, God, this buck was so big. It's like, well, it's just a huge buck. And so I'm watching him. And then I called Drummond on the radio and tell him and, and it was kind of funny because Drummond's yelling. We forget that I'm, you know, recording. So you can hear Drummond going, ah, just shoot him. Forget about Bob. Shoot that deer, Jesus. He's had 30 minutes to shoot him. My God, what are they waiting on? You know? Yeah. And so he's he's saying all this. And, and then uh, really, you really don't think the camera's recording all this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right there. And don't post Then that. I'm laying down and I'm dry firing on this deer. And, and then, then Bob and them came over and, I can't remember the whole story, but it's something to do with their, he wasn't seeing in that he was having problems with his scope and, and it wasn't dark, you know, yet. And, and the sun was like just was setting, you know? So, you know, we decided he was going to shoot my gun. At oh, this buck, you know? he, he, he made a decision that he wanted to use your gun. No, no, no. I, I just, I don't remember how it all came about, but yeah. anyway, he ends up using my gun. And uh, me and Bob were talking about it, and Bob asked if I cared, and I said I didn't. And uh, it was kind of a joke about it later. But, you know, so Bob was like, gets him over there, and we loaded up. And, you know, I had obviously, I mean, not obviously, but I did have a really nice scope on it, and we could see it really clear. And so then he got in behind my gun, and I dialed up the dope for it. And but by now it's getting later and later, and and uh, he's get, he gets ready, and he looks he's like, Where are the, where's the magazine <laughs> Like I had to run oh. over the tree and get it. Oops. And he's like, what's that all about? I'm like, well, I didn't trust myself. I thought I was going to start shooting. So I put it over there, you know, and I loaded the gun up. just standing there the whole time. Yeah, but by, but then he kind of hunkered down. And now, you know, he got a little bit harder to see it. So, so the time he got on the gun, then instead of just being right out in the wide open to the trees, he was kind of hunkered down now. And it was really hard to see him, you know? Yeah. And so anyway, eventually, so nobody shot, you know? And, um, and then we both said, something you know and the next day it's you know fair game and you know if i see him i'm shooting him. if you guys see him you're shooting him good luck everybody say good luck and then they left and and then the next morning we were in there competing with them and we had jeff get up on a mountain behind us you know up high and then i got right where i was and of course bob and his client were there again and me and drum were down low and we just started glassing and uh <clears throat> drum and saw it was a pretty uneventful morning. I saw two or three does together up the drainage to my right, and then Drummond saw a buck by himself. And, um, you know, but we hadn't seen any does at all. Yeah. And, uh, and were so they we were looking at, at this point. Yeah. They, well, I mean, I hadn't seen anything running yet because I hadn't yeah. seen any does yet. And I'd only yeah. been there for a couple of days. And so Jeff was up on top, and then the, <clears throat> the does kind of started coming towards us. These three does and they got closer there was a ridge between us to kind of started to block our view and so jeff kept an eye on him from up on top you know once because he was at a little different angle he could see the other side of that ridge you know we were way down lower and a lot closer we were only i don't know probably 1200 yards from these does yeah and uh and then all of a sudden 
Jeff called me on the radio and he's like, Hey, <clears throat> you know, he says, whatever you do, don't get all, you know, don't get all jacked up and excited. Don't act like anything's weird. Just kind of pack up your stuff and act like you're going to go somewhere else and walk down to your truck. He's like that, that giant buck from last night is rutting those two does, you know, the does we've been talking about up the draw from us. And yeah. so I knew right where they were because we've been looking at the does and, so we kind of walked off nonchalant. I'm whispering to Drummond, holy crap, you know, he's got the buck. And so we walk down there and we go, we do this big loop, go on the backside of this ridge. And uh, we basically come up over the top of the ridge and we're about 700 yards away, a little over 700 yards. And um, I shot so many, th- I completely burned out a barrel on one gun. And I've been shooting like crazy. And I was really confident that at 750. And so we laid down, built the rest, and Drummond was spotting. And, and then all of a sudden, we can just look up, and there's the doe standing there, you know, and we can't see the buck, but it's really an open ridge, very open. There's like maybe 10 or 12 trees within 100 yards of there. <clears throat> and we knew he was just standing behind her, bedded behind one of them with that doe, but we couldn't see him, and Jeff couldn't see him anymore. And But he knew they were right there, so we sat there. I don't know, we probably laid there for 30, 40 minutes. And um, Jeff was... At one point, Jeff called me up on and I was like, man, Bob says he's, you know, he's benched in on the buck. So be careful shooting because Bob's benched in on the buck right now. And I'm thinking, that's impossible. You know, he, you know, I'm looking across. There's nothing but, you know, it's pretty open between me and the buck. There's no way Bob is between me and the buck, you know? Yeah. So I fell at the Jeff. And I'm like, look, Bob is not between me and this buck. You know, I'm shooting across the canyon. There's no way if he was in danger, he'd have to be like 10 yards from the bucket. I would see him, you know, and I knew where Bob was. I could see Bob, you know, and he was way off to my left and, you know, quite a, you know, a thousand yards away to me off my left. So I'm thinking this doesn't make any sense. And it was getting more and more confusing. And then finally I said that they, he called back and said, yeah, they're benched in and they can see you and you, you're going to, you know, for you to shoot that they can see the buck's antlers and you and, he's there directly between you well we finally figure out that one of us is on the wrong buck you know because i could see where bob's at and i asked jeff i'm like are you sure this is the right buck and he was like yeah he goes you know, I, mean, I never saw the buck last night because jeff wasn't there you know that he saw some video of it and he's like he's mid-30s really heavy with a big lots of extras on the buck's left or on the buck's right big j hook i'm like all right that's him you know so but then jeff even said you know make sure you look at it and I'm like, yeah, I'm not holding you to it or anything. And right about that time, the doe stepped out. And then a couple seconds later, the buck followed her out right out in the open, started lip curling. And I just looked in the scope and I mean, he looked giant. I thought it was the buck from the night before, you know? And, uh, so I just laid down. I was already laying there. I put one in the chamber and took my time and squeezed one off. And man, he just dropped, you know? And, uh, and then when all the excitement was over and <clears throat> I'm looking at him, I look through the rifle scope and I can see the buck's left side and he has one, two, three, four, five, six. He has like seven or eight points on his left side. Well, the buck we're after is a five pointer on the left. And I'm like, Oh man. And I, I just remember saying to Jeff, this isn't the buck. You know, after we've shot it and he watched the buck fall down and everything. And, and I'm like, Jeff, this isn't the buck from last night. And he's like, shut up, drag it. Go best with me. I'm like, it's not the buck. Are you like, so I don't, are you worried at this point? Like, Dude, what did oh, I just shoot? Well, just, you know, you're on the strip. It's the second morning of the best antler growth year in a long time. And 
I wouldn't have been worried at all because I knew the buck was really, I mean, I didn't just, it's not like I just saw antlers and shot a deer. I mean, I looked at him, he was swinging his head around the sun and I was, yeah. I can remember hyperventilating, you know what I mean? And telling <laughs> Drummond, you know, I remember looking at Drummond and telling him, I remember Drummond telling me to calm down and just take your time, you know, cause I was, yeah. I was jacked up, you know, and, and, uh, and I can remember looking at Drummond and saying, man, he looks, he looks even better than he did last night. I remember saying that, you know, so I know this isn't some little deer, but the problem was, you know, how truck camera pictures make stuff look funny and different. Well, yeah. They had a picture of this deer that someone had showed me, but it wasn't, we weren't hunting this deer. We were hunting the other deer, but they had a picture of this deer that I had seen. And it, like, it was like an afterthought. Like they never even showed me this picture because it doesn't look very big. You know what I mean? In pictures, if you saw the truck camera pictures, you wouldn't, it just does not look like that big a deer. Yeah. And I recognized him as that deer when I could see that horn. So then I really panicked, you know, and I thought, I, they called him the Elkhorn buck. And I, I turned to drum and I said, this is the Elkhorn buck. And he's like, what? I'm like, the buck that they showed us the video of, they were calling the Elkhorn buck. And Drummond's like, oh, and you can just tell he's trying to stay positive. And I'm like, I cannot believe I just did this, you know? And not that it's a small deer. It's just, it just did not look good on trail camera at all. Like it, it did, I, I wasn't it even. It looked like the buck you should, saw the night before. And it didn't look at all like the buck that he actually is. He just looked really small on camera. And so I called Clay on the radio and said, hey, the, <clears throat> I thought we were benched in on the buck from last night, but it, it wasn't him. He just stood up, and it was the Elkhorn buck. And then Clay said over the radio, well, Jim, Jim, Jim wants to shoot that buck. We're heading over there right now, like my buddy Jim. And I'm you know, like, he never said, like, well, you need to shoot it or, you know. <laughs> He's like, and, my buddy Jim had a goal of, I think his goal was 190 plus, you know, and he, and so he's like, well, don't you know, stay on and we're heading your way right now. I'm bringing Jim, and I'm like, well, he's dead. I already shot him. He's dead. <laughs> and he's like, and then he goes, you shot him. And the way he said it, I was like, oh no, you know, what have I done? You know, and he's like, and I'm like, and he's like, oh. And then he made some kind of like, that's a really nice buck or something like that. You know, I'm like, like, oh, oh, giant. Nothing like that. Yeah, so I go, I'm like, I got to walk over there. And, I, you know, and to me, it was really important that, like, Clay walked up on this deer, you know, because, you know, they did all the work and they did all the scouting, him and all of his guys. So I was like, I told Drummond and Jeff to hang back. I'm like, let me just go over there. And then when Clay gets here, wait till Clay gets over here and then come on over, you know. And I just, we didn't want to make it, I just didn't want it to be something where it was like, you know, me and Drummond and Jeff acting like we did this whole thing, you know, this was all Clay's deal. Yeah. So I go on and over there and the whole, it was 757 yards of nerve wracking nausea. I was like, what if I, I, and then, you know, I kept thinking, no, the box giant. But then I kept thinking of that trail camera picture, you know, I'm like, he looked so bad. Like, did I just get excited, you know? And so, and then I walked up and I, I just could not believe what he looked like laying on the ground. I was just blown away how big he looked when I walked up to him. So then I called those guys over. I'm like, you guys are not going to believe this thing is giant. Yeah. <laughs> then I about tackled Clay and Clay came running up and he had his daughter with him. And, um, I mean, Clay's daughter's probably in her mid twenties or something. And, and Clay come walking up and I've never met his daughter before. Or I did when she was young, a long time ago. As Clay comes walking up, I'm like tackling him and bear hugging him and swinging him around like a rag doll. And I remember, 
I broke his glasses. He was, you know, his, his actual glasses he had on. And some of my head hit his, and I broke his glasses, and I'm screaming at him, like, Clay, look at the size of that thing. And I finally set him down. <laughs> Clay looked at him, like, I can't see. You broke my glasses. <laughs> and I'll never forget when he said that. And I thought, oh. Then I looked over at his daughter, and she looked at me like, oh, God, I hope he's not going to pick me up and start swinging me around. <laughs> and then Jeff and, and everybody came over, and it was it was a pretty It was one of the funnest, truly one of the funnest hunts. I'm to me, that's the most impressive deer I've ever walked up on in my life. And to have it be the deer that I got to shoot for myself was blew me away. The odds of that are one of them, whatever. I don't know. Um, it was incredible. You've been on a lot of big bucks before. For you to say that's the most impressive one, that's... I mean, I've shot a few deer that impressive. score more, but they're not, to me, they're not as more impressive. You know, I love width and, and you know, he's wide and heavy and it's just got extras. He's everything I was hoping for in a giant strip buck. That's awesome. What did he end up going? He went 235. Um, I don't know. Somebody scored him at 233. Someone scored him at 235. He's got about four or five inches broke off. He broke off an eye guard and an extra. So, he, you know, he would have probably been, I don't know, 239, I'm guessing, yeah. if he hadn't have broke those off. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't taped him. A couple other people did. Like, you don't really need to tape him. No, he's just, I don't, I can care less what he scored. I mean, not that that's not a big score. It's a great score. Although I just met, he just, his look, you know, I, we shot a deer that was 240 um, a couple weeks earlier. Me and Jeff did in Nevada with a client. And to me, this deer, like, is 25, 30% bigger, you know, not score, just more oh, impressive. Because what did that deer have, like, more time length and this one just yeah that deer i don't know this deer just is wider heavier taller it's just that deer had way more extras yeah you know that that deer in nevada had god he had 20 something i bet he had 25 20 inches of eye guards alone just lot eye guards everywhere which are really cool but they don't make the deer look bigger does that make sense yeah totally like a coos deer like if they have massive eye guards like all of a sudden it's a giant yeah, but, but like, but imagine a, a one twenty coos deer with two inch eye guards and a one twenty coos deer with seven inch eye guards. Which one's going to look bigger? Oh, the two inch eye guards all day. Yeah, he's going to be like a totally different look. He's going to look huge compared to because he had to get there with his frame. You know, yeah, they're both fun. if they're both three points and eye guards. You know what I mean? And one yeah. and they have to stay, the now the one's going to just swallow it up. Tired of going different places to get all you want? Looking for a program that offers everything? Are you interested in training, nutrition, baseball, softball, after-school youth programs, hunting, or charity work? One Performance is an all-inclusive program that offers training, advising, instruction, and opportunity for everyone, from the beginner to the professional. With a staff compiled of some of the best in their fields, impressive backgrounds, and an unmatched passion for teaching and giving back, one Performance is the first of its kind in Arizona. With the connections and background we have in the baseball community on a local and national level, from T-ball to the major leagues, One Performance offers teams known as Arizona National BPA, opportunity for instruction, gameplay, and development in every aspect of the game, both physically and mentally. The staff at One Performance Training are some of the finest in their respective fields. They strive to educate, motivate, and assist every athlete in maximizing their abilities. 
Whether you're looking for an opportunity for a young athlete or a seasoned professional to surround themselves with like-minded coaches, mentors, and athletes, One Performance is the family you're looking for. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Ready for an escape? Ready for an adventure? Do you want to camp, hunt, hit the dunes, or just relax on the beach? Ruly White RV is the number one toy hauler dealer in Arizona for the past five years running. With a no-pressure culture and no dealer fees, they guarantee you a great price and a great experience as you purchase your very own toy hauler or travel trailer. Ruly White is family-owned and operated and is now expanded to five locations, including Mesa, West Phoenix, North Phoenix, Flagstaff, and Idaho Falls, Idaho. Whether you're looking for a toy hauler or travel trailer, fifth wheel or bumper pole, Rolly White can get you what you're looking for. They carry all the big names, including Genesis Supreme, Vortex, Attitude, Wolfpack, Raptor, Forest River, and the newly released Wanderer by Genesis. We all want to beat the heat or just escape the craziness and get outdoors. Let Rolly White help you get there by visiting any of our locations or checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and online at rollywhite.com. Yeah, I remember this guy shot. He was a 110 uh, Coos Deer, but he looked like a 90-inch buck, but he had 10-inch eye guards on both sides. So it Yeah, it's like, crazy. Yeah, it still looks small, though. Didn't look right. And that's what I mean about this deer is he just doesn't have – he's got he only got one eye guard. One of them broke off, and, and he's got um, – he's just real – you know, he's 35 wide, a little over 35 and a half wide. And he's really heavy and got, I mean, he's got, I don't even know what the, the G2 has got to be 19 inches that's on big. one side. So he's, his frame is just big and that's all I, I don't care about score. I mean, I just like for any score is good too. I just meant he's, I'll probably never kill a deer that I like more than that. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, Jeff obviously likes to talk some trash, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, I'm probably just as bad as he is with him. Uh, <laughs> I'm being honest. Well, what is his score? I, I told him it doesn't even matter what his score is. I tell everybody two inches less than mine. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> shot his the same year, right? Yeah, he shot his on the archery hunt. And it was so funny because and it doesn't matter because he glassed up mine anyway. So it's not like I have much bragging rights anyway, you know, <laughs> yeah. even if mine is bigger. Um, he he shot his on the archery hunt, and uh, it's a it's a one to they're both I, I you know they're it's a really neat buck. His buck is I want it's for sure in the two thirties. I don't remember what he said, but it's they're probably about the same score. I'm guessing. Did he? Uh, is that all natural velvet, or did it, he have it stripped off? And no, that's it's it's original. So velvet. do they do they shove a? What do they shoot that with so it doesn't? get like wrought out you know i don't even know what they're either some kind of it's like a little some kind of jelly it's like a with preservative like it looks like jelly and they inject it into each vein (coughs) and then everybody does it differently some guys freeze dry it you know yeah um some guys inject each vein that's um that story's like uh I've heard it once, and it, you never, it never gets old. 
Every time we hear yeah. it, it's really cool. Play that one out. What's that? I was I was sitting there with him. Oh yeah, you described that really well. Well, there's people that tell stories <laughs> like really me, well. and you're like, I don't even know what you just said. And then there's Greg. He's a perfect storyteller. Like, yeah, I was sitting on the rock next to him. Oh yeah, it was good. It was yeah, quiet. I I just thought as how tough would it have been to not shoot not the shoot. night before. And nobody ended up shooting that deer. Bob got on him again later on in the hunt, and and the guy missed him. And uh, and then another guy I know missed him right after that, and the buck ended up making it. And then, ironically, Clay shot the buck this year with a client. Really? With the um, the guy that won the uh, raffle, you know, the statewide tag? Yeah. He... he uh, Clay shot it this year with that guy with a statewide tag holder. How big did he end up going then? You know, I don't know. He lost, you know, it was a huge drought this year up there compared to last year. So he went down a bunch, but he's still a giant buck. You know, he lost yeah. a lot of his extras, but he's still a, I mean, he was a, a, still a, an auction tag or a statewide tag. So he was really big, just not like what he was last year. Did you get your deer aged? You know, I did, and they thought he, um, I think at the time they thought he was eight years old, but I didn't, and I sent off the tooth, and I never heard back. Yeah, you know, that's kind of weird. I've heard a bunch of different things about tooth aging and how they can kind of pinpoint, like, two or three year, you know. But, like, it's not No, I just don't know. I mean, he's definitely a big, mature deer, but I don't know. It's so funny. We were, I was talking to some people about this where there's some guys that thought some deer were really old, and they got it back, and they were four. You know, really? so you never know. Well, yeah, because... Like, yeah. I want to say, I can't remember what Jeff's was, but it wasn't as old as what everybody thought. But really? I think we thought he was like 10, just based on... And I could be off. I don't know. Don't hold me to that. But I want to say people thought he was 10 just based on how many how many years he'd been so big. You know, people knew about oh. him for years. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so people had video of him, say, six years ago when he was a mega buck then, you know. And so they all thought he was like 10. It turns out he must have been like two that year, three that year when they thought he was five back then. Yeah. So I think he ended up being around eight. Why do you think, why do you think they get so big there? What is the. Well, age class and, you know, the genetics and. I mean, age class and genetics, really. I think there's a lot of protein in the feed up there. Like, yeah, just. Got just certain places have better feed, you know, and you know everybody talks about how you know, and there are a lot of deer that get killed out of there, but it's also a huge place, you know. Yes, and you're talking about an enormous place, and with not a whole lot of tags, you know. Sixty tag was it? Sixty tags a year plus the archery. So there's, and not everybody kills, right? So yeah, but it does have a pretty high success rate. But yeah. I mean that's a big old area you yeah, know i found it at once and i couldn't believe the how far you could go either direction you know oh yeah yeah it's it's a it's weird because it's like there's nobody nothing out there but then all of a sudden there's a ton of people hunting for 60 tags yep like what how many people per tag would you say Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. There has to be an average of seven or eight guys with everybody that has a tag. Yeah. Is the, like, is, when I went there, it was really dry. It's just like, like dust 
just was everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, and that's that's a huge reason why I'd really like to see these cameras, you know, go away on the trail cameras, and hopefully they get banned. And not everybody thinks the same way I do, and there's a lot of people that are upset that I think that way. You know, I have friends that like cameras and friends that don't, but I just, my whole thing is, what it does to the quality of the experience, you know, oh, if you get rid of yeah. it, just yeah. congests everybody, you know, I have the only reason I want them is because if you don't have cameras, everybody's out there finding them on the ground and people are finding different deer. And it's, I mean, I've hunted it both ways. I've hunted it back in 08 when there was no cameras. I didn't have any cameras. I didn't see any cameras and everybody was spread out. You know, it yeah. was just, everybody was spread out and we had lots of bucks to hunt. We rarely saw other hunters. And then all of a sudden I hunted at this time and it was like, there was an absurd amount of different, I mean, I can't even count how many people walked up to us after we shot that deer. It just kind of ruined the experience a little bit. No, it would have had, I known they were all there, you know, I didn't know they were there when I shot him, you know, like there was, it wasn't like, I mean, I don't mean like a date, they weren't behind every tree. I just mean word travels around it. There's crazy. Like when we shot people all, you know, there were people up on the hill. They probably, you know, Jeff talked to some guys and other people that told him we shot the buck. And then yeah. people, and then I'm pretty soon other trucks drove up there and parked and they know where it's at. People were stopping by. And it was like, if I didn't know there were that many people hunting in there, I probably would have left. Yeah, totally. Like, I think people need to know about the dirty truth about the cameras up there. Cause like what people don't know, what I've been told, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that. Um, some outfitters will send out their guides at like two in the morning, checking cameras, seeing what deer hit what drinker at what time they, they just chase deer till they hit a drinker. And then they know that's where the deer's at. And then they put the whole army in that area. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens up there. It's crazy. It was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, I'm not sure. It just doesn't seem like that's very like. I have no desire to hunt it again. Don't get me wrong. I had an unbelievable experience. I mean, you know, I got the buck of my lifetime, but it was, I don't know that I'd, I don't know that I'd want to do it again with that kind of pressure with, with, I mean, with that kind of camera pressure and people pressure, it'd just be so much better to not be in that situation. Well, the game fish is supposed to come out with something, right? Or did they not? It's, they're voting on it on, uh, I want to say June 9th, I think, or right around second week of june at the payson meeting what would you if you had your way well how would you do the camera situation i want them i just want them gone that's me personally but i mean just off of water you know i'd be happy if they got would have a chance but right now the way the game and fish fair chase rules read it says something to the effect i mean i'm like no i've written it so many times i'm not i don't have it right in front of me but it talks about where they have a reasonable chance to um avoid detection you know, electronics, you know, not if they keep them from having a reasonable chance of eluding, you know, detection. I mean, that's the definition of what a camera does. You can put it on every water and they have to drink, you know, and you're going to, they can't elude. Detect- when was the last time you heard of a buck getting shot on the strip that nobody knew about? Yeah, I don't think people understand how many cameras are in each water place, too. Like, yeah, it's just, it's the same way in Nevada, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, I would well, love Nevada, the rule, they, they can't use them during the hunt, right? Yeah, but by then, the deer are there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, once you know where they're at, they're not they're going to be somewhere in there. Yeah. If there's a giant buck that shows up, and even though the camera goes into effect August 1st, 
then, you know, if the woods killed him, September, everyone's going to be hunting them. They're going to be hunting them forever. Well, I'll tell you, if you take it off of water and you put it on, at least they have to work a little bit harder. You have to, like, know the pattern of the game to actually get those to work. You know? I mean, it just, it gives them a chance. If it's not on water, would be my thing. I I mean, I prefer an all-out man. I'm just not a fan of them, but you know, um, at least for hunting purposes, you know, if you want to yield run them and just to get pictures, great, you know, go do it. Yeah. It, it's, I don't, but I don't, I don't think they should be able to use them for hunting. That's and again, it's for selfish reasons. Only because I've had people recently, I've had people say, Oh, well you use long range guns. You know, where do you draw the line? I'm talking about long range guns, big binoculars have never led to, an overcrowdedness in the woods for me. Like it never led to a bad experience with my kids or me where there was people on every hill and everybody's hunting the same elk. Yeah. Long range rifles don't do that. Binoculars don't even do that. When, when everybody's spread out and out looking and hunting on the ground, trying to find stuff very rarely, are you hunting the same animal? I mean, years ago for the first 20 years in Nevada, when we had a big buck to hunt, whether it was me and Randy, Ulmer, me and Brittingham, we almost always had it completely to ourselves. You know, everybody, and there would be other operators hunting other big bucks that we didn't know about somewhere else. Well, that's and kind of spread right? everybody out. With well, that, without cameras on water, there's that giant buck that can elude everybody, right? Right, and then and like we'd be on a big buck here, but you know, another outfitter would be hunting a different big buck somewhere else that I didn't know about. It spread everybody out. It almost never happened where we were hunting the same box with like when I was hunting with Randy and Jack, it just very rarely happened. You always had it to yourself. It never even occurred to me in the morning. There was going to be someone else in the area hunting. And then now it's the opposite. It's, if there's a buck, you know, even if it's funny last year, we were hunting a really big buck and I was convinced because I didn't run any, I, I didn't find him with, this was two years ago. I didn't find him with a camera. I just glassed him up but there were a lot of cameras in the area and a lot of little waters, you know? And I was just sure that opening day, there was going to be like 50 guys in there. Cause it was a 200 and almost 40 inch deer, you know? Yeah. And I thought this is going to be a zoo. And then opening morning came and get, there was nobody in there. Hmm. So turns out he was drinking. And I guess we don't really know what he was drinking. I just know he wasn't drinking on the water line where everybody had all the cameras, you know, or else there would have been a bazillion people in there. Yeah. And, and so you never know, but like then this past year, there was, um, a big buck we were hunting and, you know, there was actually two or three big bucks and we didn't find them with cameras. We just found them. We didn't know where they were watering, but then of course, opening day, there was just people everywhere in there. So obviously they were using one of those waters right there, you know? Yeah. And then we had to compete with people every day for, which, you know, I mean, I don't own no one. I'm not, I'm not saying that no one should be able to keep heat with us. I'm just saying it was without cameras it spread it it would spread everybody out it just wasn't an issue ever yeah i i don't think people understand what it's like unless you've been out in the field and you've had run-ins with people that just don't respect other people's space like i've hunted antelope and i've almost gotten fights with people because you know we had been there i woke up really early to go get my spot and then um, you have just jerks that come undercut you and then try to go hike. It's like everybody needs to have some decency, you know? Like if you see yeah, somebody, just go somewhere else. Unfortunately, nowadays it doesn't seem 
I was just arguing with somebody about this the other day about the cameras, you know, and they were saying, well, you can't legislate, you know, ethics and morals, which I agree. It is tough to do that, but you can legislate the stuff that causes people to make the bad moral and ethical decisions, which is cameras. Yeah. I mean, it's been shown over and over again to cause all kinds of problems. Well, people stealing cards, cameras, like that happens all the time. Now the new thing is they don't steal the camera. They just take the card because that's the most important piece on there, right? Yeah, and like, and then you've got you've got issues with, you know, there's a big buck hitting a water hole, then, you know, everybody's fighting over the water hole. Well, if there's, if there's a hundred water holes out there and nobody knows where each one's hitting, it spreads everybody out. Yeah. But if everybody knows where the number one buck is hitting, there's going to be all kinds of conflict on the water. And then that will, yeah, I, I, I'm all for you, man. I, I'm all for spreading people out because it, there's nothing worse. I don't know about you, Cody, but you had experience this year, taking on that deer, and then people running in on yeah, you. right over the just pulled right around the corner. Hey, what are you doing? Just, yeah. Hey, and, what's going on? Hunt, well, I'm I hunt, trying to hunt. I hunt but. lots of different units. You know, like I, I don't. You know, I hunt a lot of units that aren't real popular with cameras. You know, they're not big trophy units, and that's what I try to explain to people is I get to see first. Like, it's it, to me that's proof in my mind that cameras are the problem because if I go like last year, I hunted in unit nine, and it was a, an absolute zoo with people because of cameras. You know. And everybody's hunting the same bulls and the same stuff. And it's just a, everything's a foot race and it's, it's brutal. And then the two weeks prior to that, I was hunting in 6A. Now keep this, keep in mind, 6A has like, what is it? Six or 700 tags, right? Six or 700 archery tags. That's bull elk. And then I don't know how many cow tags. It's an absurd amount. So there's over a thousand people in 6A when I was there hunting for two weeks. Jeez. And we had zero confrontations with other people. We, we didn't even really see many other people to speak of. It was, it was a totally different situation. We had it pretty much to ourselves. Um, all the bulls were hunting. Then I leave there. I go to unit nine for the early trophy, which has like 20 or 25 tags. Mm-hmm. And it's a total zoo hunting the big bulls. <laughs> Even though there's only 25 tags, one has cameras on every water and every tree in 6A. The whole time I was there in 6A, um, I don't even know if I saw a camera. Huh. And everybody was spread out, and it was a great experience. And That's crazy how that works. But everybody's in nine, and then when you go to nine where there's only 25 tags, there's people everywhere hunting. Because they have cameras where the big bulls were. Yeah. You know, pictures of where the big bulls were. So, well, that's why. Well, um, it's one thing I like about you is that <clears throat> you don't always put in for like the mainstream units. You have these little hidden units that are easier to get drawn for your your clients, so that they actually you know, have a chance that, of getting drawn. Yeah, people don't understand. I mean, you can literally, you can. I have guys that have been on. I mean, if you're only unit nine you're gonna draw it once in your lifetime if you're lucky as a non-resident i have guys like the rim at school last year last week with us that have been to arizona now and each have hunted probably six times each with me in the last 25 years 
you know, they're they're averaging a tag every four years. Yeah, I don't like them. And, yeah, and, and, and you get <laughs> to go and hunt here. What's that? I do. We don't like them. I need to get a tag. Oh, you guys got tags. We've gotten to hunt together already. I know. You know? Terrence, Terrence, Terrence. Dude, it's all Terrence. Next time you come on, we're going to tell a story about Terrence Bull. Can we tell the good story and not the bad story, though? Yeah, we'll tell the good story. Okay, good. <laughs> I wasn't even planning on the bad story. I think the good story is just good enough. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the redemption story was much, it's much better in my mind, that's for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that that one day of hunting kind of like is just was one of the all time like just kind of like if you sacrifice, you can get it, you know. But you know, oh yeah, there's a lot of pain during that sacrifice. Is that the one where you? Oh my god! Close? Remember, I I keep thinking of you. Remember that was when. Oh, dude. Well, I can't remember what happened. Then we switched cars or something, and your rain jacket was in the other car or something. I didn't have my rain gear because I brought – I was just so worried about Taryn having her rain gear. I didn't have mine. So the first yeah. hour was just pouring rain, and then after the rain, it snowed for the next yeah. two hours. Sounds about right. Yeah, that was – oh, I, I can't all, believe you were still out there that long. I oh, that we didn't get back to camp till night, like by the time it was all said and done. Oh, yeah, but I just mean even sitting out there that whole day. It was miserable, I can't dude. believe you didn't freeze to death. I was, dude, when Still you guys shot, when you guys shot, that was, I was either, I'm like, we're either going to shoot and I'm going back in the truck. That's what's happening. Like, <laughs> I can't do this any longer. Like, Taryn's nice and comfy, but I'm not. <laughs> oh, we were miserable, too, because we were out on that ridge, and it was like, we had just oh, decided, she and I, they're like, look, it's got to be fun, and. It, I, she was. Well, she's worried that I'm going to think. You know, she doesn't want to tough it out. I'm like, nobody would have toughed it out this long. Oh, dude, no, you know, no human with a brain. I guess we didn't have brains that day, but oh, the craziest thing on that, the craziest thing was when the freaking eagle took one of the back straps. Remember that? We went back. Oh well, guys, oh, we lost him. Greg's gone. He didn't, want, he didn't want to talk about the back strap. <laughs> we lost Greg. Let's see if he if we can get back. Greg was walking around outside. I think we lost service. Oh, here comes Greg. He's back. Greg. Greg, Mr. Krogh, you back here? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, remember how? Hello. Oh, he's gone again. Bad area. Um, well, the short of the story is that we had laid out all the meat. On the rocks, because you don't want to lay them in the dirt. Yeah. And um, it was snowy, so we made sure that the rock, it didn't get cold. You didn't tell me about um, that. I never heard that story. Yeah. That would, and, I would be sad. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. It was just. It would be awful. Okay. Well, I guess up. the eagle ate well. No, he, yeah, he just took some bites out of it and then. Oh. It's still good then. Yeah, it's still good. We got all the meat. So let's call them. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm, we're better. We're good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was just a gnarly hike out. It was gnarly in, gnarly out. But that's where the big bulls are, right? Like, you want to kill something uh, yeah. big, that's what it's going to take. Yeah, and then just the way it all worked out, remember we were getting ready to shoot the other one, then went out and 
get lucky and find that one the night before the hunt for the oh. first time was crazy. Yeah, I remember getting that text like, dude, what do you think of this thing? I'm like, well, that thing looks like a stud. <laughs> I think we'll switch. Yeah, I think we're moving on to uh, yep. the redemption. Upgrading up, right? Yeah, we're, we upgraded the rings. We upgraded a ring. Greg, <laughs> I really appreciate you taking your time to be with us. And um, I can sit and listen to these stories all day. Oh, dude, we can. It's kind of quiet sitting here. This listening. is just one of many conversations we're going to have with Mr. Greg. We're going to have him on in a couple months when he got some some, some stuff exciting little, little in the future. Yeah. That we're going to want to definitely tell all our viewers, all our listeners, not viewers. Not no yet. We gotta get cameras. I've been told that I have a face for radio. <laughs> That's, <laughs> but um, Greg, I appreciate you coming on, and I'll give you a holler later, and we'll. All right, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, guys. Greg, pleasure meeting you. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, buddy. good meeting you. All right, take care. You. Bye. Later. All right, guys. Well, you got to listen to a cool hunting story. Like to listen to. A, a story from a guy that shot a buck that big is probably makes me jealous. Oh, makes yeah. me jealous for sure, man. Makes me want to have a strip tag. Makes me think that it's only May. It's only May. That's three, why we're going to talk we, every we're going to just keep talking about hunting until it's time to hunt. We got 3 months till we can go here. Tell yeah, and we're going to go Yeah, maybe we'll have a archery strip tag. That would be amazing. I can go over the counter anywhere else. If yeah, I don't. if not, we yeah. just go buy a tag. We're still looking for the Texas thing. Anybody Te- out there? Axis, Texas. Show us where to go for Axis in Texas. Yeah, we want Axis. We want. I was just talking to somebody about a friend of mine that we're talking about really good tasting meat, and I've heard that Axis is the best. So, so I keep hearing. I've never tried it. I I think there's only one way to try it, and that's to go shoot one and then try it. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Gotta call some people. I'm in. Call some people that know some people. Yeah, I'm all in. Where I, do you know where they're at down there? Do you know where everywhere. we gotta go? San Antonio area. Somewhere in San like around San Antonio. We got a team in Amarillo. I got a bunch of coaches there. Well you tell them to well yeah, they'll go. I just gotta tell them where. Okay. And yeah. maybe we can go with them. Yeah, I'd be in. Because one of them definitely hunts. Really? Yeah. Awesome. My boy Nick. Well, Nick, uh, we'll find the place, and then I think it's going to be a playing the game kind of situation where I have to be there. Like, there's going to be some podcasting that happen there. It's a business trip. It's definitely We're doing research. We're going to bring cameras. We're going to start filming. Oh, I got cameras. Some cameras. For these? Not this. but I got to buy the cameras for this. The Mevo. I'll buy one. You buy one. We'll split it. Buy them? Hey, I so update on the coros. I'm still in the first charge. Yeah, I've uh, nine days now. I'm at twenty seven percent. I'm trying to see how long it'll go. So you're almost ten days. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm still first charge day. Like today's Thursday, so I'm five almost five days in. I really yeah, like it. It's great. I've never, I haven't taken it off yet. No, I'm gonna get some different bands. I like this band though. It's a uh, great. What, what would colors. you call this? Like a, it's a little stretchy. It's a little, yeah. It's a fabric. I don't know fabric, um, but it it's light. Everything's light. You yeah. hardly notice it. Very lightweight. Sleep in it. It's not a problem. Schneider, if you're listening, Mikey Mike, 
hey, you know that me and Cody over here could be test dummies. And we're keep in. telling them. Like, we could test your bands, and we could give you good reviews, honest reviews. Also, We could give positive reviews, too, you know? Whatever you want. Just yeah, you just tell us what you need. We'll make it happen. Send the product. <laughs> product. <laughs> Anybody review. send the product. We need more product reviews. Yes. Easton you know what? Areas. We're going we're gonna to try Easton uh, four millimeters. Four millimeters. I decided Easton. today. I'm going to order them. I'm in. Just let me know what I need to do. Hey, hey guys. So send us some questions on the Instagram page. Cody has a password now. So I got now the password now. We're, we're going to go in vivo. Some going live. More is going to happen. On that page, so keep more than what there was. Hopefully, maybe you'll see more of us. And then, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Thanks for checking the Instagram page out. Check out Greg at Bogey on Rim Outfitters. Yeah, he's doing big things. If you want to go hunt a big animal, yeah, get on his list. Try to get drawn. But just so you know it's a no joke experience like got to be able to hike got to be able to shoot got to you got to be able to do those kind of things so if you like if you need to work on the conditioning part let us know yeah one performance he's got your back we'll, we'll put you in touch with some some workouts yes sir all right keep it classy y'all see ya later <laughs> <laughs>